0: There are very few things we love more than drinking coffee. We start every recording with grabbing a cup, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon. Did you know you can support the pod by fueling us with coffee? Head over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash we pod to show your love of the pod by buying us coffee. That's buymeacoffee.com slash W-I-I-P-O-D. Welcome to the Weight Inclusive Innovators podcast. My name is Hannah Turnbull and
1: I'm Morgan Sinclair. We're two non-diet dietitians, entrepreneurs, and Enneagram Sevens here to talk shop about the business side of things.
0: From managing a team of clinicians to building a cohesive brand to figuring out how the heck to pay yourself, we get deep down in it talking about what it actually takes to start, run and grow your weight inclusive business. The good
1: and the messy. We know your degree didn't include any business classes, at least not any applicable to what you're doing now as an entrepreneur. This is why we are on a mission to bring business education to other weight-inclusive clinicians. Say sayonara to all the hours spent on Google and hello to information that is actually relevant. Let's dive into today's episode. What's up, Weight Inclusive Innovator fam? We are back together again with another episode for you, and today we're going to be chatting about how you define success in your weight-inclusive business. But before we dive into today's episode, let's check in with Hannah. Hannah, how's your week been?
0: Morgan, I'm glad that tomorrow is Friday. I know when you're listening to this, pod listeners, it's only Monday, but it's okay. It's going to be a great day for you today. I am glad it's Friday tomorrow. Um, there's been a lot of random stuff going on this week. So one big thing, and I, a lot of our listeners I'm imagining don't know this about me. Well, unless you listen to my business episode, um, I'm originally from England. I've literally been in America since I was two. So been here forever. You see me, you hear me, you know, I'm American. Um, I got my citizenship this week. Finally. (laughs) Yes. So I want to acknowledge that, the process of citizenship is a very complicated, loaded, very oppressive situation for a lot of people. It's incredibly fucked up and I am grateful that I was able to get mine. It took a really long time and I can't imagine what it's like for people who haven't been here or people who are trying to move here and have a better life. So I just, I want to acknowledge that privilege because I think that's really important. And um, did you start the process? I started it before the pandemic. Oh my God. So I think there was a lot of delays with that. But yeah, randomly I finally got notified that I was ready to take my test. P.S. You have to take a test. I know we don't do our video anymore, but I'm going to show Morgan this little booklet that I had to study. It's a hundred questions. They ask you 10. And if you get six in a row, right, you're done. So you have to study literally a hundred civics questions. And I'm going to ask you three. Oh We're my good. God. Okay. Here we go. Oh gosh. <laughs> Just to see if you know the answers. Okay. You ready? I, I don't know if I am, but let's do it. Okay. How many amendments does the constitution have? 25. Oh my God. That was so close. It's 27. Ah, it was That was really close. I had no idea how many house of representatives or sorry, the house of representatives has how many voting members?
1: Four hundred and eighteen.
0: Oh my God, you're so
1: fucking close. Four thirty-five, Morgan. Dang, it. Dang, Dang it. it, general. General idea, but I still would have failed. Okay, I
0: awesome. would have Here had no idea. I literally was like two when someone asked me before. I So there's studying. two.
1: There's two senators per state to get a hundred. Yes, a hundred. Yes, House of representatives is based on population size. Oh my God, you are so smart. Okay. I got to send I Still gotta, a have fails. I got to ask you a tricky one. God, I thought those were tricky. <laughs> um, I mean, they clearly were, I did not
0: get them right. Okay. When was the constitution written? What year? 1787. Oh Is my that right? God, Morgan, you are an exception to the rule. I've literally <laughs> asked so many people these questions this week and everyone's like, I don't fucking Wait, know. Was that right? That was right. Good job. Okay. I need to, one more, one more. This is important. What is one thing Benjamin Franklin is famous for? Being on the hundred dollar (laughs) bill. No, but I see why you would get that or why you would say that. Uh, I think that like followed him being an important. Correct. Um, Hold on,
1: hold on, hold on. I know I got this. Hold on. Let me think. Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin. Oh, God. Was he one of the first ones to sign? No, he was not part of the Declaration of Independence. I don't know. Give it to me.
0: Um, You could have either said U.S. diplomat, oldest member of the Constitutional Convention, first postmaster general for the United States, the writer of Poor Richard's Almanac, or started the first free library.
1: Oh, good to know. Whenever you said said oldest member of the Constitutional Convention, I um, had a flashback to history class. So I feel like that would have been my go-to answer. Honestly. Okay. I'm going to say this though. My high school history teacher was the shit. She was so good. So she, so I went to a high school where I went to a new high school and we only had sophomores and freshmen when we started. And so she was our world history AP teacher, then moved up with us to be our U S history AP teacher. And then I had her senior year for my elective for human geography. And so I succeeded in college because of her teaching ability of like teaching us how to like study and take notes. And so shout out Miss Nixon. I know this stuff because of you.
0: Miss Nixon, we love you. Holy shit. I can't believe how close you got to things. That was incredible. Maybe I'm just (laughs) silly, but (laughs) that was awesome, man. I really thought I was going to trip you up. Um, Listeners, if you want to send us an email and let (laughs) us know if you knew any of those answers. Yeah, you're yeah. a
1: good citizen if you're a citizen, I guess. <laughs> I appreciate that being put on the spot. I feel like, like amped and ready to go now for this episode. <laughs> Perfect. If you can get those questions right, you can do
0: anything. Oh, man. Yeah. So that was a highlight of my week. Got my US citizenship. Way to go. The low was I fucking did not think about how getting my citizenship means it changes how I can get in and out of the country. So so for those of you who don't know, if you have a citizenship in another country, All the countries have different ways of getting in and out of the U.S. So when you're a U.K. citizen, you have a British passport and you have your resident alien card. If you have a resident status in the U.S., which is like kind of the step below having your citizenship, you're pretty much a citizen, except you can't vote. That's the biggest thing. And so because I denounced my U.K. citizenship, which, P.S., it isn't really a thing. When you become a U.S. citizen, basically, if England and the U.S. were ever to go to war, I would have to be on the U.S.'s side. But I still get treated like a citizen when I go to England. So that's a side tangent. But now that I have my U.S. citizenship, I no longer have my green card. So that means I can't use my British passport to get back in the U.S. And so I have to we have our Mexico City trip coming up in a month from this point. And so I was like, okay, cool. Just got to get my American passport. No problem. I'll get it expedited guess fucking what in Denver, if you try to get a new passport, you can't get an appointment until November. Jesus. Unless you have an extreme circumstance, which I don't know if our situation is extreme, (laughs) but we already had this trip booked
1: and like I was planning on using my green card. So yeah, I got a text from Hannah that said, hi friends. I have good news and bad news. Good news is I got my citizenship. Very exciting. (laughs) Bad news is I don't have a passport to get back in. Yep. To the U.S. So uh, yeah. yeah, Monday, was it Monday? Tuesday? I think it was Monday. Monday. It was fucking Monday. Totally a, little, a Monday. A little stressful. Yeah. But you made it
0: work. I did make it work. I just had to work with the embassy and pay a fuck ton of money. And yeah. now we're still hopefully going to Mexico City if my passport comes two days before our trip. Fingers crossed.
1: Keeping it's all the sad. fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I wish I wouldn't have texted you and freaked you out or made you That's sad it. because I was like... Yeah,
1: I want to figure out how I can do this. So, anyway, Honestly, that'll be yeah, on the up and up. When stuff like that happens to me too, and it involves other people, like I'd rather keep them in the loop. Yeah. And go through those emotions with them. And yep. then, you know, two optimistic human beings right here, we were going to make it work. We would have figured it out regardless, whether that is, you know, doing what we did, what we did, LOL, doing what you did. <laughs> And paying a lot of money to get your passport or moving the trip if we needed to. So Yep. Yep. You were a great emotional support. We were in it together. We were in it together. We're going to Mexico City. One way, one way or another. Yes, we are. Anyway,
0: enough about me. Tell us about your highs and lows this week.
1: So my highs and lows center around a trip that I had this weekend. Highest of highs. I got to go to California this past weekend to see one of my friends get married, which was so fun. And um, she, her and I met during our dietetic internship and she was the first intern that I had met that knew about eating disorders and intuitive eating. So that was, you know, a fast friendship just based on that. And then she actually got me my first, helped me get my first eating disorder clinician job. Uh, she was working at a residential treatment center. They had a part-time opening and she was like, just come see the house. Just like, let's grab dinner. Just like, come see the house. I think you'll really like it. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm not working with teenagers in a residential setting. That sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> um, and then I went to the house and got to see what she did and absolutely loved it. Anyway, saw her, get, she, she got married this weekend in California. They had like a, her. so her husband is Indian. And so they had a fusion, like a fusion wedding where what? they got to bring in traditions from both aspects and it was so cool. And then they had a whole buffet of Indian food and it was delicious. Got to connect with some old friends. I uh, got to meet some new friends who I had conversed with over email whenever we were collaborating with a client and I finally got to meet her in person, so that was really cool. However, the trip didn't start off <laughs> the way that I wanted it to so the wedding was in Ventura, Ohio area, and you can either fly into LA or you can fly into Santa Barbara. I'm sure there are other, other options, but I fly Southwest. So those are my two options. And I chose Santa Barbara because it seemed to be closer. It was closer. It is closer. And I was like, I'll fly into Santa Barbara and I'll either like grab an Uber or take the train down to Ventura. And so I land in Santa Barbara, realize it's like a four terminal, not not terminal, four gate airport, like super small airport. And I was like, well, this is going to be interesting. So I found, I was like, oh, I'll go to the information desk and ask them how to, like what the best way to get to Ventura is. There was no information desk because it's a tiny ass airport. (laughs) And so I went up to the Southwest baggage claim, the lady who was manning like the baggage claim desk. And I was like, are you familiar with Santa Barbara? And she goes, yes, I am. And I said, great. How do I get down to Ventura? And she was like, you uh, would take a taxi or an Uber. And I said, is there any way I could take a train? And she goes, yes, there is a train station here. You could take the train, but like a train probably won't come for another few hours. And I said, can I walk to the train station? she goes, no, you have to get an Uber to the train station. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get an Uber. I might as well get an Uber down to Ventura. 35 minute car ride. Just for context, not very far. Like, that is a very doable car ride. And so I look up Ubers, $90. And I was like, that is insanely expensive. Surely getting a taxi would be way cheaper, not way cheaper, but cheaper than $90. And so I go and find a taxi, which, like, I just, taxis just aren't really a thing anymore in the US. I know they are, but like, I always Uber. And so I had no clue what I was doing. Go up to a taxi and was like, Hi, like, can you take me to Ventura? And he was like, yes. And I said, great. Like, how much is it going to cost? And he goes, well, totally based on the meter. Should have asked a follow up question of, like, how much does this usually cost? But didn't get in the taxi. Within five minutes of being in the taxi, we were already at like $40. And I was like, fuck, this is about to be a $200 taxi ride. Oh, I know. I was panicking. And I and whenever I panic, I go to a one. I get stressed, and I was figuring my shit out. So I was like, okay, this is what we're gonna do because I was supposed to extend my trip, go visit a friend, but would have had to get a hotel room for like three hundred plus dollars. And I was like, this is this is getting to be more than I want to spend. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna cancel the rest of my trip to Ohio. I'm going not to Ohio to San Luis Obispo. I am going to call my friend to see if I can get back to LAX with them on Sunday. I canceled my flight out of Santa Barbara. I rebooked a flight out of LAX. I spent $162 on my taxi. And then I got to Ventura and I was like, all my shit's figured out. I'm going to have a really good weekend now. <laughs> that feels
0: so manipulative. Yes. Like I, I understand the, the meter system and things, but a 35 minute ride should not be $160. Like I, I don't
1: understand girl. You're preaching in the choir. I know (laughs) everybody learn from Morgan right now. (laughs) Expensive mistake. Not even a mistake. It wasn't a mistake because I thought I truly thought that that was the best thing. But anyway, I put a little damper on the, on the weekends until I got everything switched around. God bless Southwest for being able to cancel flights at no charge and switch things around. Uh, I used points for my flight home. And so I just like canceled that, got all those points back. And then um, the flight home out of LAX was a very reasonable amount with points too. I already had friends driving home. I ended up being on the same flight as them home. So they actually like drove me home from the airport. It worked out really well.
0: That's awesome. I feel like
1: you got your money's worth then. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I canceled everything. It was was fine. It worked out well, but... Low of the week was my $162 taxi ride. That is a low. It is okay, but it is a low. Recovered from that. Doing good. Headed to Columbus, Texas this week to sell wine with the fam. So going to throw that in for a high as well. Um, For those who don't know, my family has a vineyard here in Texas. And it's a very fun family hobby. And they have a festival this weekend and asked if I wanted to come up and sell wine with them. And obviously not going to turn that down. So wine slushies. P.S. Not just wine. wine. Well, wine and wine slushies. Okay. Yeah. We got both. We got our our new wine shipment in and they ran out of room to store it. And so we're having to like push some of the old product out. And we're doing that by making wine slushies. Mm, That's going to be amazing. And it's going to be like 95 degrees in Texas this weekend. And so wine slushies sound like I'm already dreaming about the wine slushies. They sound so refreshing. Ready to get in today's episode? Let's do it.
0: All right, so we are talking about defining success in your business. And I'm going to add on the end there and say, and in your life, because when you are the business owner, it is really hard to separate work from life in a sense of the reason we work for ourselves a lot of the time is so we can have the flexibility to do what we want or do things in the way that are important to us, et cetera. And so the title of the podcast episode is Defining Success in Your Business, but we're going to go a little bit more broad. As we dive in, so I feel like in our capitalistic society, the definition of success is taught to us, and I would love to hear what you have learned success means. like what is your quote unquote American dream of success that you've learned?
1: Woo, what a question. I am in full agreement that success is definitely taught to us and I would say like my American dream, quote unquote, American dream was go to college, work a corporate job, work your way up to get a corner office, manage a team, be in charge of people, make decisions. That was what I wanted to do for a very long time. Whether, whether I like knew it or not, like even whenever I was like, oh, I'm going to be a dietitian, like my mind still went to corner office running a team. I can think back to being in college, something that I always wanted, and this was, I think this is a testament to this definition of success that we're taught, but I always wanted to have a business while I was a college student that allowed me to travel to the point where I would have to email professors and say, mm, sorry, can't make it to the test on Thursday, have a, an important business meeting in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> I is- don't know where that came from, but I but I I reflecting back on it now, I think it just alluded to like having to be as successful as possible at a young age. And when I didn't accomplish that. I did a lot of really cool shit in college. Like I started a nonprofit in college. Like I did things in college that were successful, but it wasn't that specific. I had to email my professor and tell them I couldn't make it to a test because I was running a business that I was like, ooh, like we we were really taught to be like as successful as possible running businesses, financially successful as young as possible. I'm having to work through some of that now. 100%.
0: I laughed when you shared that because I'm just thinking of the seven brain and how like fantasy thinking and playing things out in our head is such a thing. I always say I'd be like a good actress or someone to write a storyline because my brain is just so imaginary driven. And so when you were describing that, I was giggling (laughs) because I was like, that
1: is such a seven thing to like have this oddly specific scenario play out. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was bizarre. I like, I'll think about it sometimes and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> like, what? I don't,
0: I don't know. It's <laughs> pretty cute. I thought it was cute. I'm like, sorry, professor. I can't come to your stats test because I have a very important meeting. I'm very important. And I'm 18. Literally.
1: That's how it played out in my mind. <laughs> oh man. What about you? What's your, what was, is, or was your American dream?
0: Yeah it's funny that we're talking about the concept of american dream and just naming we're both two white privileged ladies here oh yeah um so we know that concept in general is loaded and being from a country that colonized america but yet still having like an american dream learned from my parents and them bringing us over to america is really confusing mm-hmm. at times but with that it was kind of always put on me like We moved you over here for more opportunity. Um, You're going to be working from a young age, like having a job that's high paying and traditional is what you're supposed to do. So for me, I don't know where I latched onto this. I think because I internalized money is so important, which it is important in a lot of different ways, but I learned that money is important and that's why you work. I was going to be an accountant that just like my brain was like, well, accountants count money. And so, and they make a lot of money. And I think Mm -hmm. I learned in the game of life or something stupid that accountants make a lot of money. I didn't know shit about fuck, And so that was going to be the classic job I pursued. And when I went to college, I started in the business school. And um, I think it was me not knowing myself, but like having an inkling about myself because I do love business and entrepreneurship, obviously, Obviously. but I was trying to do it in a way that I was supposed to based on the American dream i learned.
1: I totally get that. i I don't know. I was also raised by two accountants. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh-huh. I just, like, associate <laughs> associate that, but it's I mean very similar mindset to that. and it just like there wasn't really any other way. And I also want to mention that like our parents' generation, doing what we do now like would never have been an option. Like that was just the natural path. Like, right, you get your degree, go work an office job, stay there until you retire. And seeing that, and I know that looks different for everyone. I would say that's like the quote unquote stereotypical path. I know there's obviously a lot of different paths, but I remember like thinking about how am I going to have to explain to my parents that I run a business online (laughs) Like that, it's just way different for like our generation too. And so I think that allows this like quote unquote American dream to become more individualized and shift from what it was when we were growing up.
0: That's really funny that you mentioned just the idea of explaining to your parents what it means to have an online business. Cause I swear to God, my parents were shitting themselves when I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in private practice and build out a group and things. They were like, what the fuck? <laughs> and now they're like, oh, yeah, you're good. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My parents were always supportive of it, but it was just like, and, and they're pretty tech savvy. Like they, they knew what I was like, I could explain to them and they would be like, oh, yeah, like that makes sense. But it's just so different than like, my dad's been with the same company since I was not born, maybe born very young. And so it was, it's just very different than that. And now that
0: we're talking about it, it's like, okay, we covered boomers. We're talking about millennials who are like in the businessy space or like trying to find work-life balance if they are in corporate spaces. It's like, what is
1: Gen Z going to do? I don't know, but I'm really excited. I know me too. They're all going to be TikTok influencers. Honestly, I'm here for it. I've been influenced by TikTok so many times from Gen Zers that they're, they're clearly doing something right. We love to see it. As we're talking about what we learned success to be, do you have
0: like a moment or something that showed you that wasn't gonna work for you? Like when did you realize you needed something different to feel successful?
1: I don't think there was one specific moment, but I think there was a lot of things kind of in between the ages of like 20 to now that made me realize that maybe I should be challenging this. The first one was getting to spend extended periods of time in different countries and just seeing their way of life really made me realize, and I couldn't fathom it then, but reflecting back on it now, that our culture, I'm going to say our like US culture, you uh, live to work. In a lot of other places around the world, you work to live. You have mm-hmm. a job that you go to. It's not your whole being. You go, you tolerate it. And it provides a means to an end for you to be able to live the life that you want and pursue things that you want to do. So that was a really interesting perspective and one that I couldn't wrap my head around. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you don't love what you do? What a foreign concept. Like literally, we're taught, we're literally <laughs> yeah, we're taught that we need to like love what we do. And what's the phrase? If you love uh, what you do, you won't work uh, a day in your life.
0: Hate it. Hate it. I knew as soon as you said, what's the phrase? I'm like,
1: no. <laughs> <I don't. laughs> we brought it up. <laughs> and so I think that was kind of the first part of starting to challenge that. Probably the biggest influence was running across a group called the Bucketless Bombshells, which, if you listen to my business story, they were pretty influential. It's these two girls that were. Working in, I think one was in the US and one was in Canada that only have like two weeks of vacation time, but they really valued travel. They both quit their jobs, moved to Mexico. That's where they met and they built out the bucket list bombshells, teaching women how to essentially be digital nomads and be able to work from anywhere in the world. And I was like, what? That's an option? And so that definitely, because at that point, I knew whenever I ran across them, I knew I loved travel. I knew I loved getting to spend time in different places in the world and so getting to do that and make money and I was like that feels like it could be a very good definition of success for me. But then I started to feel really silly cuz I I heard about them. I went back and got a job and I started to feel silly for wanting to travel so much because I'm like this isn't success. Success is putting in the hours and working really hard and why am I taking time away from work? And I was I couldn't fathom taking a week off of work. And so I just planned a bunch of weekend trips. So I would only have to take a a Friday and a Monday off and still have essentially the whole work week. Recently, I have realized that that was very much hustle culture, which led to burnout real freaking fast. And so it was kind of all of those things together made me realize like maybe the stereotypical definition of success needs to be challenged and I can start writing My own definition of what that means.
0: Mm. P.S. For people listening who might live in the way that we talk about success being shown to us, that is okay. I wanna, I wanna just give a quick caveat. Like, if you work a corporate job and you love it, if you love hustling, if you love weekend trips, like we love that for you, and we love that in context as well. And then that's where it comes back to: everybody gets to define what success is. So we are not dogging on anything in case my six wing is like, oh my God, we have to re- reassure everybody that okay if they're
1: doing that. Yes, So yes, just wanted to say that. Right no, I, appreci- I, I appreciate you naming that because yeah, this is, I mean, the purpose of this is like figuring out what success looks like on a very individual basis. So quick question for you. Rose. Oh, yeah.
0: Why did travel feel like that didn't mean success? Like what did you associate with travel that didn't line up with what you learn to
1: be success. That I was gonna run out of vacation days eventually. And that very much felt like a scarcity mindset. And I I feel like a lot of it was there was so much pressure and just the intensity of the work that we do as eating disorder clinicians, that it felt unfair for me to take more time off and put extra workload on my coworkers because there weren't really systems in place. In order to support that. Like if I was gone, like there was a a close colleague that was having to take on the burden of all of my work. And I knew that all of us were on kind of a track to burnout. And so that didn't feel right to place that on them because like that would have just pushed them closer to burnout. It was a very messy web.
0: That's a very toxic workplace culture to think about of just. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think about in private practice where, if you're out, like you just see your clients the following week or whenever mm. you get back, and if you do need a little bit of coverage, somebody can step in. But typically, if you're outpatient level, people are okay for a week or two. So, so I yes. think of
1: like higher level of care, but I, I like clinical working in a hospital. But even, even in like true like corporate America, outside of like being mental health clinicians. Like that seems to be the norm. Like there's not really systems in place in order to prevent and support employees in that way to not go through burnout. 100%. But what about you? What happened in your life that you realized you needed a new definition of success? I feel like I'm still trying to make a working
0: definition of success if we're being candid. A lot of where we learn to define our successes in our career and in our work as we know. And so I was clinical for about nine months and then TLDR jumped into my own practice. You can hear more about my story in Hannah's business story episode, but I've done all the things to be quote unquote successful, like built a private practice solo, got full, hired an employee, hired more employees, built out a structure where we have leadership. Like we are a legit group practice clinic. And so I have been successful. I've made amounts of money in our field. That is more than a lot of people who have been in the field for 20 years, making a year. And I still just don't feel not satisfied, but I don't, that doesn't feel like success to me because I'm like, I can keep doing this forever. I can keep growing the practice. Like I could open another group practice if I wanted to. And I'm burnt the fuck out (laughs) a lot from taking on so much and doing so much in a relatively short amount of time. Like solo and group has been four years for me. That's a short amount of time in your career to be so burnt out. And so I've been successful for successful quote unquote for many years at this point. And I, and my brain is like, for what? Right. Like I check off all the boxes and something in me is still like, I I can't stay here. And so that's where I'm kind of grappling with. There's so much opportunity to do so many different things in life. And I'm working on going from what I should do to what I want to do, because that feels, even
1: though it's nebulous, it's more definitive of success for me moving from what you should do to what you want to do. That's powerful. You heard it here, folks. What is it that you want to do? Or let let me back it up. What do you feel specifically within the realms of our line of work? What do you feel like the universe, I guess we'll call it, is telling you you should do? Hmm. And what is it that you want to do? Like, where are you at right now? Like, obviously that can change and shift and grow and all yep. that, but yep. I feel like we're, you're like on the cusp of that change. And so I'd love to know what that looks like right now.
0: So I feel like, and again, this is my own projections and my own bullshit probably, that the universe is telling me like, you did the thing, enjoy it. Keep doing that. Only do that. Really focus in on that and like ride it out. Great. You got there. Check. I don't want to do just one thing. Like, I love client work. I love my team. I love being a group practice owner. I love being a business coach. And I just sometimes feel like I should not want to do all of these things. And I
1: don't know where that's coming from.
0: Like, I am successful doing this. Why do I need to do
1: more? Mm, So you're saying, like, you should quote unquote, should just be focusing on your group practice and seeing clients because that's what you're trained to do. And that's what you've done. And that's what you're successful at right now.
0: Yes. And I Mm -hmm. should only want to work in eating disorders or only be doing intuitive eating, weight inclusive stuff, like being in the clinical work.
1: Interesting.
0: I know. I feel like I'm gonna have a vulnerability hangover after this, but it's fine.
1: But I can... I can relate to that in a sense of, and it's like this balance, right. Of, of wanting to do new projects because they're new and fun and exciting. But I get in that headspace too of like, why wouldn't you just focus on what's working for you right now? That feels more comfortable. That feels like you have clients there. You have a a method, all methodology there. Like, why would you, focus on other things when you could build just this one piece. And it's this mindset of like, am I doing too much? Oof, Constantly grappling with that. And majority of the time I can, you know, rationalize with that fear. And there's a fear in there somewhere. I haven't quite figured out exactly what it is yet, but it's, I think it goes back to that, like, should conversation of, of, why would you rock the boat? If if you're doing something that's working, why would you throw all that out not throw it all out the window? Because obviously, like you're still doing it, but why wouldn't you just focus on that? Versus what we want to do as multi-passion entrepreneurs, which is continuing to challenge the status quo and build new things and create new connections.
0: I feel like you have a straw and you're just like sucking all these thoughts out of my brain,
1: (laughs) you know, and we're in, we're in different stages of business and I, and, you know, we have different definitions of what success looks like, but I think there has to be some common denominator amongst all of this, of what this quote unquote American dream is shifting to what you should be doing, challenging hustle culture, challenging, the things that get us to burn out. And now we're all kind of in this collective space of like, okay, what is it that we actually want to do?
0: 100%. And then to go back to just thinking about our parents' generation or the baby boomers' generation of they work one job for 40 years, they get their retirement benefits and their health insurance, and then they like retire at 65 or whatever. And it, it's true. It's hard to challenge the status quo, but I feel like that's how I live my life in a lot of different ways. And so it makes sense. But I think because of just what we've learned success to be, it's like, well, what if I don't want that? Am I just like a chaotic person? Cause I want to like, like change shit up, you know? And yes, TLDR, I am a chaotic person.
1: sometimes. <laughs> like, I don't know if you want that to be a rhetorical question or not, but yes, here we are. <laughs> no, but it, it's so true. Like I, I remember having this conversation with my therapist quite a bit of this idea of conventional versus unconventional life. Mm. And there's, there's a piece of me that still wants pieces of this conventional quote unquote, American dream, white picket fence kind of life. It's like kills, it's like kills me a little on in the inside. <laughs> but there are certain pieces of that And I'm still working through, like, do I actually want that? Or is that just what I grew up believing that I wanted? And I'm having a hard time challenging that. But she told me, she was like, Morgan, you have done all of these things that have proven that you are a very unconventional person. Lean into that. There's nothing wrong with challenging this. But doing that work with my therapist, figuring out, sifting through this conventional versus unconventional lifestyle and what pieces that I actually want to pick and choose and realizing that it doesn't have to be black and white. I don't have to be all conventional and all unconventional. I just lean more towards the unconventional side of things. It's like if if unconventional was uh, white and conventional was black, I would be like an eggshell (laughs) color perfect <laughs> moving towards the gray being in the gray you know um but some of the really important work that i've done around this which i know you're you know you run a whole business around values is figuring out what my values are and using those as guiding factors kind of the north star of my life to make decisions and as you mentioned in the beginning like those values are there for my personal life but When you own your own business, you can't really separate those out. Like your values are going to be guiding your business decisions as well. 100%.
0: And that's where I think the TLDR
1: of this episode is success is living with your values. Another kind of key point with this, and and it's in relation to values, is I was actually talking to one of my friends. About success, and this was, gosh, probably two years ago, year and a half ago, and I asked her because someone had asked me this, and I was like, "This is like a net, like a nebulous." Is that the word that she used? Did nebulous. You say nebulous. Yeah. Question. I have no clue. I've since done a lot of reflection, but I asked her, and I was like, "Well, what does success look like for you?" So she's a former engineer, quit her job as an engineer to work for herself and build websites and she goes I feel most successful whenever I can take a certain number of days off that's way more than what I ever would have gotten in corporate America and so I track my success based on being able to take 30 plus days off and I was like oh. dang that's incredible that and you are those- so that you are so aware that that is something that is so important to you that you now have like a metric Tracking that in your business to make sure you're taking time off in order to feel successful.
0: 100%. And we, you know, the metric is just the tip of the iceberg because when you have time off, you have the space to exist, the space to play, you have time, you have resources. Like there's so much in the ability to take time off, and especially in those, that large, that quote unquote, large of an amount compared to what you would get in corporate America. I think that's awesome. It's a great metric.
1: That's like six weeks off a year. Yeah, it's amazing. What is your current crossover between your values and what success looks like right now in your business? Ooh, yes.
0: Okay. When I was thinking about this, it made sense for me to just break it up into like four categories. of like, okay, if I'm trying to define success and want it to be a little bit tangible, you know, in relation to work and life, There are four things that stuck out to me, financial, time, quality of life, and career. And so for financial, when I feel successful, it's because I'm living within my means. I'm not overspending. I'm not racking up credit cards. I'm not spending impulsively or chaotically. So being intentional with spending, maxing out my investments, that's really important to me. This is going to probably be a whole another podcast we say that every episode, this is going to be a podcast episode, but I feel like it could be a podcast episode series on just the importance of investing as soon as you can. And so that is success to me when I can max out my investments, because one of my goals would be to be work optional by the time I'm 40. That does not mean I'm not going to work because I feel like I'm just always someone who wants to be working, but just to have that security, this is my sixth wing of I am good for retirement. And then it's also supporting other people's work, especially folks who have different identities than me or different life circumstances. Like I want to be able to be as generous, generous as possible and donate. And I do that as much as I can now. And that's where I always think about when we try to quote unquote measure success with finances and money and making tons of money and things. It's like, one, you can only spend so much money. And two, then what you do from with money from there, really, it, it doesn't feel good to not do things that aren't in alignment with your values. That's my take. So that's my financial definition of success. Time. Um, time and work. I'd love to work six hours a day. I think that is my sweet spot of I can be productive. I'm not just fucking around on my phone and scrolling through Instagram or my email. Six solid working hours, whether it's meetings, whether it's concentrated, creative, project time. Being able to take off days when I want to, and I put that in quotes because I feel like when I'm in that flow of working in the time period that I want to and feeling really good about my work, I don't want to take off like six months of the year, you know? And that's why I really make an intentional note about wanting to take time off because it's not driven by, I'm so fucking burnt out. I need to go on a three-month hiatus from work. Quality of life is another one that I use to kind of look at success in business and life right now. So again, if I'm able to take time off, I'd love to travel. I love to go on adventures, whether that's like a day hike or if that's climbing Everest one day, love experiences, hate stuff that does not contribute to my quality of life. And then just lots of time for play and silliness, which you can't really put a price tag on. Yeah. And then there's career. So I want to always be learning and growing being challenged and pursuing new opportunities. So that's not staying in the same career for 60 years. It's not doing one skill. It's always being in the process
1: of learning and growing and shifting. I don't think I'm ever meant to just settle. What about you? Well, first of all, surprise, surprise. So many of our things overlap. (laughs) I can't even believe it. What shocker! Who would have thunk? So, I have five values that I pretty much make all decisions based off of. Five felt like a really good number and enough variety for me to be able to like keep it, keep it tight, keep it honed in. And th- I would say three of these are really related to business. Similar to yours with the career is growth, and that's just leaning into the discomfort of being a trailblazer, trying new things, going off the beaten path, challenging the societal norm of what success in business can look like. Kind of secondary to that is adventure. I, I feel like I am in a place of success whenever I can build in time for adventures. Right now, during the pandemic, and now it looks like smaller adventures of going to visit friends, going to spend time outside, driving down to Galveston, um, which is like an hour drive south of here to the beach. Whenever I was working through the values, adventure definitely felt more parallel to living a digital nomad lifestyle. And we're taking steps, right? I work for myself now. I can literally work anywhere there's Wi-Fi. And so that's kind of the first step to that digital nomad lifestyle. But really getting to spend extended periods of time in other parts of the world. um, And with that comes financial stability because you have to be making money to be able to travel and live in other places. And then similar to yours with like the lots of play is the creativity. And so always just making sure that I have enough brain space in order to play and be creative. My work naturally is creative work. And so whenever I say creativity, I I have to intentionally separate it of like, yes, I have to be creative for work where I'm making money, but there also needs to be space for me to be creative just for the heck of it. And being able to not be so burnt out, not be so overworked, not have my brain be so tired that I can't do creative things for fun.
0: What would you say are like two creative things you'd love to do for fun that are not related to work?
1: Cooking more. Whenever I have a busy day, the last thing I want to do is be in the kitchen and cook and do dishes and all of that. And cooking for one person kind of sucks sometimes. And so I would say, being in a space where i feel calm and relaxed enough to be able to experiment in the kitchen with a new meal mm. tied to inviting friends over for like a little dinner i love hosting i guess that could kind of be a second one is like being able to host more and just invite people over and be really intentional with those relationships in my life and and continue to like make space for that because i feel like there's so much more to life this sounds so cliche, that feels more fulfilling in life. Or I want that to feel more fulfilling in life of having these really solid connections and a really strong community than how many businesses did I start? How many hours did I work? How many projects did I complete?
0: I feel a little existential about that often on days where I am working a lot or weeks or sprints when I'm working a lot. I'm like, Holy shit, I haven't seen any of my friends in like two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I feel like I'm not living what I would want for my
1: successful life and some things need to shift. The big question if you had to summarize what your definition of success looked like, how would you summarize it?
0: Mm. So for me, I feel successful when I'm grounded and when I have the space to just exist. Successful living to me is intentional and present and driven by my desires versus expectations that are put on me. And you can't put a price tag on any of that, but being financially well helps support having space and time and feeling grounded. So I want to acknowledge that Like success isn't a number, but it is having a certain level of stability
1: to feel okay. That's an incredible definition of success. What steps are you taking and what values are leading the walk towards that definition of success?
0: Woo! What steps am I taking? Not enough. (laughs) This episode is inspiring me to take some time and journal and think and reflect and make a plan. Which sounds very businessy, right? <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> strategize <laughs> how to live successfully. <laughs> but I think I need to look at where and how I'm spending my time and my resources and my brain space and reprioritize. I think that's the big step I need to take. And with that, it's always hard because there's not an ideal or perfect plan, there's gonna be some grief or loss on whatever way that I move. So I think that's what holds me back too. of like working towards my successful life, which I'm glad we're talking about too, of like, we're not fully here and it might be like a flow state. Sometimes we're like, I'm hitting my stride. This is the life I want. And then shit happens and it it shifts, but I, yeah, I'm going to sit down and prioritize and do some self-reflection and doing that supports my values of, independence and autonomy, having play, growth and learning, and yeah. Probably a bunch of others. I have a million values. I need to reel <laughs>
1: those in and prioritize them too. <laughs> Part of the journaling process.
0: Yes. What are your what's your definition of successful? Your new definition?
1: My new definition. This question makes my heart rate go up. But I also think recognizing that this is, as you said, in a constant state of flow and can continue to change. But right now, success, I would feel successful when I am living in the present and not worrying so much about what the future looks like. Mm -hmm. Hello, moving to a five in times of success for being an Enneagram (laughs) 7. Yes. And that felt like a very um non-answer, non answer non it felt like a woo woo answer i would say tangibles of that of what living in the moment living in the present looks like is really prioritizing the relationships in my life that fill my bucket not being afraid of stillness mm. because stillness fucking terrifies me sometimes which is why I have so many businesses and business ideas. And I'm like, if I just keep like grasping for something new, I don't have to be still. I don't have to feel my feelings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hannah and I were talking yesterday about feeling our feelings. And I was like, if someone's going to make me feel my feelings, like at least put me in a new city, state or country so I can feel my feelings in a a new place.
0: Yes. Buffer the effects.
1: Buffer (laughs) it. Um, And really just like, feeling content. Like I, uh, I've done some visualization and journaling about like what I want my life to look like in three to five years. And the feeling that I keep going back to, and it's a very specific visualization is like sitting on the back patio in the house that I bought in my favorite neighborhood in Houston, just like take, like taking a big deep breath. Cause I just got back from an eating expedition trip. And I just like, all just feels right in the world. Like I'm pursuing the projects that I want to do. I have made this shift from how much money am I making to, am I making enough money to just be able to support myself to live out my values, predominantly travel and adventure. And I have enough systems in place set up to support me financially where I am able to take more time and energy to put into creative endeavors like reading more, getting into watercoloring, being able to cook and host people and and being creative and things that are not directly related to making money Mm. and not trying to turn those creative endeavors into businesses.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One time, this is a side tangent, but I remember there was like, people decorating sugar cookies for a long time. And I found this website where someone teaches you how to make a sugar cookie decorating business. So I like bought all the stuff. I bought her PDF and I was going to bake cookies as a side business.
1: Yes. I was like this was just going to be a fun thing that I did. I just wanted to bake cookies. And then I took it too far. Yes, that is. Oh my God. ain't that bitchy. I was literally reading that. And I was like, I wonder if I could put together a book on hosting and I was like, no, Morgan, you just want to host friends to make connections. Like, don't, don't do that to yourself. Our brains like to try to sabotage us. it down.
0: Yes. Okay. So if we could leave the less the listeners with two action steps, I think having them make out a list of their top five values that they want to bring into their
1: work in life. And if you and- want a list of where to find values, Brene Brown has an incredible list of values. We'll link it in the show notes. And then the other thing
0: is, what would you recommend for a visualization exercise that people could do?
1: Ooh, being able to define what success looks like or being able to figure out what you need to be doing now in order to redefine success. You need to know what you want your life to look like in a few years. And so I would say picking three to five years from now, whatever feels best for you and what's helpful for me is picking out like one specific moment in time. Like what, what day of the week is it? What month is it? What are you doing? What are you seeing? What's going on around you? What did you do yesterday? What are you looking forward to tomorrow? Like getting really specific of like this one specific moment. Did you ever watch, um, that's so Raven growing. Yes. It's like that, like that tunnel vision. And you see that one specific moment playing out and then you can come back to reality and be like, that's where I'm going. So like, what am I going to do today to get there?
0: Oh my God. I think our friendship just went next level with you bringing in Disney channel originals. So thank you for that.
1: You're so welcome.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Wait inclusive innovators pod. If you like what you hear, subscribe to our podcast to add us to your queue every week please leave us a rating and review and share with a friend to help us reach more weight inclusive business owners who could use support and pep talks. See you next week. Bye everyone.